So welcome back, everybody, to The Climb. I, uh, I just want to say I really appreciate the support that uh, y'all uh, have given me this first month. We've got uh, 1.7K views just in the first month, 30 subscribers. I just really appreciate all the support. It means a lot. And um, episode five, we got a, got a great guest on, um, history teacher, uh, oh. great preacher. Uh oh, a man, uh, Dr. David Woods, everybody. Oh wow! Well, I appreciate that, Jay. Of That's course. a pleasure to be on the show. You guys of got course. a lot of fans already, huh? I'm getting getting a little bit of a getting a little bit of a following, yeah. I like that. Good for you. For sure. So um, I just want to um, just we're just gonna like start out with some intro questions, and then we'll just develop the conversation, see how that's gonna go. Sounds um, good. So, like, what impacts did uh, Christianity um, have on you as a youth? Ooh, as a youth. So, I, I grew up in a Christian family. I grew up going to church every Sunday. So, I would say, in general, I probably feel like I've known the Lord since I can remember. I don't have any, like, dramatic testimony. I just, the Lord is always real. He's always around, always in my kind of world. So, mm -hmm. that kind of was pretty steady, probably, most of my growing up. But my family moved every three or four years. My dad worked for uh, the federal government, and we moved every few years. So oh, wow. as a kid growing up, yeah. So it was like going, you know, in a whole new church, whole new state, whole new set of friends, whole new school. So I think probably the Lord was the one consistency uh, growing up over the years. And I think that that probably served me better than I realized. It was just normal for me to be in that kind of environment or yeah. to feel connected with the Lord. Uh, but having grown up a little bit more, most of the friends I have now would have spent most of their childhood not knowing the Lord, never going to church. And so I didn't realize I was sort of an anomaly. Uh, and I'm just really grateful, honestly, looking back that I had folks that were trying to do the right thing. We're trying to walk with the Lord and we're trying to raise me in that as well. Even if I was kind of a punk a lot of times, uh, sure. I still stuck with it, you know, and, and the Lord was always real, even if I was having my own issues or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So were there any preachers like growing up that you kind of based um, your style of preaching now on like um, same like messages or like sort of stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, there. I think growing up when I was young, I think I kind of I didn't connect with preachers much. They were usually boring or I didn't really know what they were talking about. I would fall asleep almost all the time in church. Uh, like when I was in big church, I would always fall asleep. I'd sit on like. I'd sit on my mom's side so that I had a space between my mom and my dad. So my dad couldn't see that I was falling asleep, but he'd always know I was falling asleep. And so he'd all, he'd have this like loving, not loving, loving, like hand on my shoulder, like across the, across my mom's back. And he would just be kind of like, kind of, kind of squeezing me awake every once in a while. Like, you know, be respectful. You know, I, I would never say anything or whatever, but I would definitely have trouble uh, uh, when I was young, definitely had trouble, never connected with a preacher, probably not until I was like 19, um, mm. maybe 18. And I moved out to California and there was a guy named Marcus who preached at like kind of a young adult, kind of a, a younger person kind of evening service at a church yeah. in Capitol Beach. And I had never heard a normal person, what sounded like a normal person talking to normal people about the Lord. Like it wasn't, it doesn't sound fake. It didn't sound like he was trying to like, I don't know, sell something to us. You know, it sounded like he knew the Lord. He was excited about who the Lord was and he wanted to tell us about it. Yeah. I wouldn't even describe it as a particular preaching style, except it didn't feel fake. And so much of church stuff can feel really 
it's just fake to me. So I think I've always had like a guy like that. And then like a preacher like Haddon Robinson is probably my favorite all time mm -hmm. uh, who passed, he passed away a few years ago, but he was probably the best preacher in the middle of the 20th century. And it's just because he, he grew up in hell's kitchen in New York, grew up poor, grew up rough. And would just, when he talked about the Lord, he talked in a way that you believed he meant what he said. Yeah. And he didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to pull anything. He wasn't trying to sell anything. He wasn't trying to make himself sound cool. Like mm -hmm. it just, there was no nonsense. It was just compelling. It was intelligent, but it was like an honest person talking to people in an honest way. So I think that always had a big impact on me. For sure. And um, kind of like when you first started, um, what's kind of a key moment uh, you noticed where you're like, oh, I want to do this? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I would have been 19 and uh, I had started to teach a Bible study because somebody at the church had asked me to teach this Bible study. Um, I was enjoying the Bible study, but then the first time I ever preached in front of people, like, like in front of more than the Bible study, um, I think that was probably, yeah, I don't think it was very good. I, I had to preach on a really heavy passage where Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So like, it was not, it was kind of like thrown into the deep end, like, <laughs> so, yeah. go right, go right into the heavy stuff. Um, but I remember, even though, again, I, I, if I'm sure if I heard it now, there's no recording, thank God, but I'm sure if I heard it now, I'd be like, cringing <laughs> the whole time. but uh, I remember I preached on that and there was a girl, uh, so this is in South County. So there was a girl who had been, I think a few months before she had been shot in like a drug deal that had gone wrong in Dana Point. And she oh, wow. was paralyzed from the waist down. She was in a chair and she had occasionally come to that church, you know, off and on over maybe the months or the years. But I think that was the first time I saw her back after the shooting thing. And mm -hmm. when, so she was there the night I preached and, and there was, I mean, there was like a, it was a big thing. It was like, there's like hundreds of kids, you know, hundreds, hundreds of young people. So it was definitely yeah. the biggest thing I'd ever been at as a speaker or preacher. Um, mm -hmm. But it was also like my first official sermon I kind of thought it might have gone not well, but because it was so heavy. But then after the service, she literally like, like rolled her chair up to me and was yeah. like, like, thank you for telling me about the Lord being there for people like me, you know, people who were suffering mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. And that was kind of it. It was like, I kind of well, yeah, exactly. bumps. Yeah, it was like truth and reality in someone's life who had just been through hell. And was like paralyzed. She was like 20 years old. She was like 21. And she wow. was getting, they were, you know, they were saying she wasn't going to walk the rest of her life. It was so, it was like really unexpected, really dramatic. But she wasn't like, thanks for being cool. Thanks for being funny. She was like, thanks for telling me about the Lord. Thanks for, thanks for like pointing me to a place where I could be comforted and have hope. And it wasn't about me and it didn't feel like it was about me. And it felt, it felt like the Lord. It felt like that's what the word can do. It can really bring someone hope who doesn't have it. So I think that was probably it because it was just real. And it wasn't about how well I had done or not done. It was just the power of the word. You know? For sure. And um, I just kind of have a general question for you. So how does somebody become a preacher? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Um, I come from what's like a low church tradition, which is like, Okay, so like if you, you talk to somebody else, like if you talk to like Reverend Butler or Reverend Stratton or, or any of the other people we might know at the school or whatever, um, there's a very particular path and you know, and, and you, would, you would almost certainly have to go to like seminary 
and get a degree and and I, I did that I mean I support that but I come from I come from a tradition that's so far on the other side it's like hey if you love Jesus and people don't run out of the room when you're talking you know maybe you're supposed to be a pastor you know it's like it's it's pretty like it's kind of ambiguous which is good and bad you know like that can be that can be not good because then people who are just like sort of popular everyone will be like oh you should be a preacher or something like that people you that's terrible right like you, you never heard what chapter three that you're going to be judged more strictly than the average christian because of the responsibility of it so i think even though i grew up in the sort of let's just see what happens uh thing i think the lord kind of walked me through opportunities where i was teaching and people were responding not to me but to the word mm-hmm. and i think that that kind of was like breadcrumbs it was like okay, I'm not boring people to death. They're not leaving, but they're also not just like wanting to be in some cool club. You know, it was like they were responding to the word. And as time went by, you could see the word was having an effect in their life. And that's kind of the biblical thing is like, what kind of fruit comes out of your teaching? Like, yeah, that's what you kind of have to wait and see. That's why it's not good to rush into it or to like say, oh, this guy or that girl, like she's got it or whatever. Because you kind of got to see, well, what are the lives of the people like who are under your preaching? It takes a little time to see that. But I think, I feel like the Lord led me like a little bit at a time to say, okay, this is good. Keep going, keep going. He kept opening a door, closing a different one, turning me a little bit. Um, And then eventually I did go to seminary. Uh, I'm a big believer that you should study the original languages you're going to be the guy or gal who answers to God for how you led people out of the word, yeah. you should do your best to know it in its original language so you can be as careful as possible. Mm-hmm. So I'm all for the cerebral side and the intellectual responsibility, but I believe in the power of the spirit, man. I, be- <laughs> I believe in that. I believe in the Holy Spirit power. I believe in only the Lord can really open that door for the persons that he wants to do that. And it's not always who you expect. And sometimes it's so much harder than you realize. So it has to be the Lord because you won't be able to sustain it if it's just you or if it's just like your mom and dad think it's enough. He's going to have to show up with his sustaining power for years and years. I think it's a lifelong call. I don't think he calls you to be a preacher for a few years. I think if he calls you, that's the lifelong call. I don't think he stops. I don't think, I think that extends until you die. I think that's like your lifelong calling. So you want to go, you want to go slow and want to make sure it's the Lord. Um, but I feel like, yeah, you kind of have what's called an out, outward and an inward call. You feel the spirit move. He continues to move in that direction where you feel like, okay, it's not just my idea. Uh, and then there's an external sort of validity that people's lives are being connected to the word and they're starting to grow. Maybe people are being saved, or maybe they're just stabilizing their marriages and they're starting to find their way with the Lord slowly but surely. That's fruit. That's evidence that something of the Lord is involved there. And yeah. so you're kind of looking for both of those, an internal call and an external call, they used to call it. So something like that, I think. But it's, you know, it really has to be the Lord and you don't want to rush it. <laughs> for sure. And um, so given that all preachers kind of uh, talk on the same uh, subject matter like the word sure. of god um, what like main um messages or um thoughts or themes do you give to um your the people during a sermon like what do you what do you that's use a good question i so i don't usually do uh topical preaching mm-hmm. uh at my at my church and and in part for, for this reason like 
I think that there is sort of every subject under the sun is somewhere in the scripture. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the dangers is if you look for ideas that you like, you'll kind of end up, you know, whatever kind of preacher you are, you'll kind of end up with the same five things that you always talk about. Yeah. And you kind of want to make sure that you're submitting yourself to the text rather than submitting the text to you. So what I'll do is I'll tell my people, like right now, for example, I'm like, all right, I'm preaching through like the Psalms. Well, like there's 150 songs. Like, you know, like that's going to take a while. I'm not going to hit every single one, but I want to make sure that there's enough variety and that I'm not just picking things that are interesting or like my hobby horse or some like passion of mine, but something that's just there in the word has life in it. Because ultimately for a preacher, uh, a pastor, you have to be giving your people a high, like nutrient rich diet. It can't just be like, oh, and now we're going to talk about money. Now we're going to talk about sex. Now we're going to talk about like whatever would get people interested. Yeah. Like you hit those as you go. But like people need like high quality grains. This is like a whole life needs to come out of the word. And the yeah. word has that nuance if you're not cherry picking. If you cherry pick, you'll end up basically feeding people like a lot of carbs and a lot of sugar. And it might like people might be like, wow, that was powerful. You know, it might sound like really intense and cool. Mm. It won't give people a life to live, though. It'll just like charge them up like that was a killer sermon. But you can't be preaching like sugar high sermons that's like that's a that'll kill someone early if they only eat sugar so i really believe the text has all the nutrients but that means you got to be willing to preach all the text and <laughs> uh, and not just like the things that you're interested in or things you like i would say though as a christian i always want to overemphasize the new testament i always want to overemphasize the centrality of christ and the gospel and then i want to use the old testament primarily to illustrate you know, good stories, good examples, different things. But in my experience, Christians need more New Testament, more New Testament, more New Testament, because we're a New Testament people. We need to understand that like yeah. more than anything in the world. So um, I'm almost always going to be going after uh, Sunday morning preaching. We're always going to be in the New Testament. Right now I'm preaching Thursdays, like a midweek thing. So I got a little freedom to like do Psalms, do some other stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, you want all the nutrients. So you really don't want to just be looking for things that would make a good sermon. You really want to just be like, like sometimes you need a multi-grain sermon that doesn't always taste good, but it's going to give people like health, you know, it's going to yeah. give people sanity, but they might not get emotionally all worked up over, or they might not think you're the greatest person. They might think it's a little dull, but you need some dull foods that have yeah. better content in them sometimes. So I think you got to have that. That was a great analogy. I just want to say that, like, that was, wow. Um, <laughs> I'm going to keep that. <laughs> Let's go, Jay. For Let's sure. Um, so what, what do you think is the most important um, lesson you learned in your journey with God? Wow. Uh, that I'm not that cool. Like, I, mm -hmm. I think I've never lacked for ambition. I've never lacked for... Um, interest passion excitement i think the lord had to teach me that at the end of the day i'm going to answer to him for whether or not i was faithful not for whether or not i was popular not for whether or not i achieved the successes i dreamed of when i was younger i'm going to answer for whether or not i was faithful and whether or not i love people well and i think he, i think my whole life he's just been humbling me so i know what i'm answering for when i when i see him face to face and i don't get that wrong 
And I don't try to point and say, well, look at all the people who, who thought that was a really good sermon. You know, like I want to be able to say that I lived an honest, humble life and I love people well. And I wasn't just seeking my own personal ambition and my own success and my own whatever. And I think he's, he's, um, and he's been teaching me that since I was probably about six. Because <laughs> um, I've always wanted to be the best. I've always wanted to, I've always wanted to, you know, just kind of punch through all the doors. I've always wanted to win. I've always wanted to just super ambitious. And the Lord had to show me, like, there's one thing he requires of me. And it's, it's faithfulness. And it's loving my neighbor and loving the people around me well. Uh, he's going to ask, like, if I was a good dad, he's not going to ask, like, how many people, like, showed up when I talked. You know what I mean? So um, I think that's it. I think him just showing me what really matters. And it hasn't taken my passion away. It's just reoriented my passion so that I'm thinking in a sane way and I'm not just pursuing personal ambition um, or personal success. But I'm really, like, I want to live a full life that answers well uh, to him and that is faithful to the end. So I think that's probably the biggest thing. Mm, for sure. Um, how has your your um, preaching style kind of um, morphed over the years? Like you said, your first sermon wasn't as great and it was about <laughs> heavy topics. But mm -hmm. how is like, um, what's a, how's like a present day uh, Dr. Woods sermon? How does that <laughs> take place? <laughs> Uh, you should probably ask my people, but uh, I'd probably be scared to hear the answers. Um, well, look, it's like anything. Uh, if you're a musician or if you're a poet or if you are uh, even like, uh, you know, an athlete or something, you get role models and you want to imitate everything they do, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, I found a couple preachers. I mentioned two of them, actually, but found a couple preachers over the years, like at different seasons that I was oh, this guy's got it, right? Oh, this is killer. Um, and so there yeah. are these seasons where you could hear me imitating that. Like mm -hmm. you could just hear it. Like my, my speech pattern would change because I've been listening to them so much that, you know, you just, so you imitate what you love. Um, that's normal. What I think I, I realized is you have to keep loving more things. You can't just have one or two or you will always be a sad copy. If you're going to mm -hmm. find the voice that the Lord has given you to preach through, which is you your voice it's the one that that i was saying like Haddon robinson or even like marcus that doesn't sound like bs it sounds like you believe it and you're living in your own skin and you're not trying hard you're you're just literally just living out of what you are i think you only get there on the other side of being inspired and wanting to imitate like really great preachers or really great musicians yeah. i think you got to go through that and i think you got to have more than two or three that you really like or you'll never be free of sounding like them and so I think the Lord kind of kept opening the door like there, like uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, like a, a, like a lady preacher who's just like a poet, totally different than like uh, Haddon Robinson, totally different than anybody else, but just like a perfect craftsman of words. So the Lord would like open up these different examples that were diverse enough that mm -hmm. I couldn't imitate them all at once. So I had to actually end up finding my own voice. And yeah. I think that's probably kind of, the path um you know my wife could probably hear she'll say something she'll be like were you just listening to Haddon earlier or something Haddon Robinson because like she'll hear my cadence change if I was just listening to him she'll hear it affect me but I think I'm pretty good at, at living in my own skin now at that at kind of finding my way with the Lord and you you got to just not be fake I mean 
Christian leaders to me sound so fake so much of the time, or they sound like they're on a talk show. They just don't sound like people. They sound yeah. like they're, they're on a stage, you know, like, and, and that's just like, I don't know how a normal person would ever buy that. And like, like, that's crazy. You have to be able to show people that the Lord is for life and life is for the Lord. You know, like, yeah. not like this professional thing that you're doing on a stage. that's all shiny. It's like, you got to be able to live in it and have the authenticity and the passion to say, this is true because I know the Lord and he's shown up and, uh, and he'll show up for you. You know, like it has to be kind of that personal, I think, or else you're always kind of posturing, you know, you're always kind of fake it till you make it. And I don't think you'll make it. I don't think it'll bless people in the way it's supposed to until you find your voice because you really know the Lord has saved you and you've settled into it, you know? Yeah, for sure. And, um, are you just like stationed at a single church or do you just, um, mm. It wasn't called. Do you get booked to go to different? Churches? <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, yeah. I, mean, I don't know if it's called that anywhere else. I hope it's not. But you know, I understand <laughs> what you say. Um, yeah. Like there used to be sort of like, uh, yeah, we used to call them like hired guns. You know, like <laughs> you'd come in and do a guest spot. It's too easy to be a guest preacher. You always sound fresh and exciting, and that's yeah. like that's totally deceptive, right? So you would always be popular if you were just being a guest preacher. So I'm pretty convinced that um, preachers have to be pastors and that you have to be committed to a group of people that you're going to shepherd uh, from cradle to grave. Because otherwise, to me, you're really just trying to hone a powerful speech rather than a way of teaching people from the word that they could live under for their whole lives. And to me, the only point really of preaching ultimately is to give people like the word of God so that they could live a life in, in, in every season they're in. And so to me, a preacher and a pastor should be the same person. Like, yeah. and that's not to say I won't guest preach for friends when they're out of town. I, I will do that. Or like, you know, even at chapel or something like that, you know, there's mm -hmm. a rotation of different speakers. There's context in which that's appropriate. But even like at chapel or something, like uh, they would say, make sure you have a church, like make sure you have a pastor who knows you, make sure you have, you know what I mean? Like that should yeah. be the person who's teaching you the word regularly. So I've committed to a little church called Zoe in uh, South County for the last almost 15 years. And, uh, and I'll be with them, you know, until the Lord, until the Lord decides otherwise or takes me away. I mean, honestly, that that's, that's my commitment is to pastor that group of people um, as long as the lord gives me breath and so it's in that context that i'm a preacher as a pastor that's the context of being at um so yeah i'm happy to preach other places happy to encourage uh, other congregations or bless friends when they need a break or something like that um but i really think everybody should be rooted as a pastor who is accountable and responsible yeah. to a group of people for the long haul yeah and um so you said you kind of learned from this um sort of um elder preacher we'll call it was that kind of like a mentorship or how did that um how did that work that's a great question so uh the pastor i co-pastor with right now has been sort of my my mentor as as a pastor for sure uh, for the last 12 13 years um before then though uh there were many years when i didn't have any mentor that i knew and a lot of the mentors i had were dead but they still mm -hmm. mentored you know, like I read or listened to them. I learned from them and it, and the Lord used them like a, like a living mentor. Like mm -hmm. they, they were the persons that were shaping my soul, my understanding, my calling. They just have never met me. Right. Um, so I think it can be both. I think 
I think you have to have people um, who, <laughs> you know, especially people long since dead who you can, you can learn from and can yeah. mentor you, you know, uh, even outside of the context of meeting up for coffee or whatever. Um, and so there was like, there were seasons in which it felt like almost like a drought where it's like, I was just looking for role models and mentors, but, but it was always, it was nobody who knew me. It was just people out there whose recordings or tapes I found, you know, Tim Keller or Damian Kyle, or again, yeah, Haddon Robinson or something like this. And the Lord would use them in powerful ways. Uh, but eventually he also brought me under the mentorship of, of my pastor. And yeah. I think there's a combo there where you don't have to be limited, but I think, I think you need a face-to-face -face thing. Yeah. And then I think you should be able to have mentors from history and mentors who you may only meet in heaven. So I think he used both. Mm -hmm, for sure. Now, um, this is kind of a, like a ridiculous question, but I've always oh. wondered, um, so you grew up in a Christian family, right? right. Very Christian. So yeah. um, was there, you, were you allowed to listen to like non-gospel music or was it just, all, <laughs> was it just purely uh, like uh, worship music? <laughs> now you're gonna get me in trouble. Um, no, uh, there was, my dad, my dad had actually pretty, has actually pretty good taste. <laughs> um, so like I grew up and my dad would often on Saturdays when he was home, he'd be gone most of the time, but when he was home on the weekends, um, I, I remember like clockwork, I'd be growing up and he'd be listening to Ray Charles. He'd be listening to, yeah. I mean, he, he'd be listening to some real good music that wasn't like gospel music. And, and, yeah. and like, I remember Rhapsody in Blue, like George Gershwin, like, just like beautiful music. I gotta wake up yeah. on Saturday and be like, oh, dad's home. You know, it's like, it was like a different, there's a different music in the air and stuff like that. My dad loves worship music, loves praise music, loves it all. But I, I always appreciated that he just brought good things into the house, like beautiful things, you know? Mm -hmm. um, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I probably listened to some hip hop I shouldn't have been listening to. I probably memorized a little too much Eminem, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> But, you know, like, I like, but I still like quality. I still liked, uh, you know, Mos Def and, like, Jurassic 5. I, I liked, uh, yeah. I liked artists who were saying something. I, I was really drawn, mm -hmm. drawn to that, even if it wasn't sort of um, baptized, you know? Because um, yeah. I've always just been interested in the world. And I've always, when I was growing up, I, I never had any Christian friends. So all my friends, like, living in the world, and it wasn't like, oh, I just want to understand where they're coming from. It was like, I did understand where they were coming from. And their lives, a lot of times, were, were a lot harder than mine. And so I wasn't going to, on top of that, I wasn't going to be like, no, why are you listening to this devil music? You know? <laughs> like, I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> like <music>. that. <laughs> but I always wanted to find a middle ground where it wasn't just disgusting, you know, but it was like, there's such good music out there. So like, I always wanted to be able to share like music with people um, without it happening to, to only be church music. Um, so yeah, I feel like I had a pretty good mix growing up and, and hopefully my palate got more and more refined as the years went by. Yeah. For sure. And um, do you feel that your relationship with God kind of gotten better as for the longer you've been preaching as like mm. compared when you started? My, yeah, so I, I think this is the big warning. Um, you know, pride puffs up, man. And like, if you're successful at anything, uh, especially early on, um, it can completely derail you. Uh, yeah. So like, I had some success as a preacher early when I was a teenager. 
and the Lord rescued me from it derailing me. Um, I could very easily see my I, early success in preaching uh, ruining my relationship with the Lord because what it did or what it, what it tempts anyone to do, whether it's preaching or anything else, music, anything, um, it creates a false self where you feel like you've got to keep matching it. Mm-hmm. And then you and then you end up putting your identity in how people respond to the sermon. Oh, pastor, that was powerful. Okay, cool. Well, what if they don't say it next week? Um, right? Like it creates this like it could pre- it create this fake self or this like striving to like perform a role. Mm-hmm. And there'd be there'd be times in my life, especially early days, where I would miss just being a Christian, like yeah. not having to stand up and do anything that would be judged or 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 celebrated right because Mm -hmm. i was usually in most danger when people were like that was powerful um so i gotta be honest i've seen it ruin people's relationships with the lord uh -hmm. their success as preachers um so i'm very aware of that and the lord i think intervened at a few key moments for me uh right when i probably was kind of getting caught up in that identity and reminded me look, next week, five people might show up. Are you going to be down about that? Or are you going to preach as good as I've called you to preach? Or are you going to be like thrown off that only five people are here, right? Like he had to ask pretty hard questions early on about like, what was motivating me? Why were you down? Oh, because not many people were here. Why would that make you down? The Lord's there. Like, if it's about the Lord, the Lord's never not there. So why would you ever feel like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, or I feel this is stupid, or I feel worthless. It's like, why? The Lord's still the Lord, you know? So he had to like walk me through things where he refused to let me put my identity in my preaching and wanted to make sure that my identity is in Christ because that can't go away. Even if, even if everybody hates my preaching, even if, or whatever, you know, or so I don't have to live up to this fake image of the hype man or whatever, or just always try to outdo myself every week to get people's attention. I am like settled in the Lord. And from that place, I want to preach from that place where I'm not trying to prove anything and I don't want to impress anyone. I want to honor the Lord and I want to tell the truth so that people can be connected to Jesus and be saved. Mm. Um, that's not a little pious at the end there, but I guess I'm saying I've seen success in ministry ruin people's relationship with God and I don't want to be another statistic of a guy who got burned out or a guy who fell into sin and had this weird double life and all the you know like I don't want to be another statistic I I want to just be a regular dude who who Jesus saved and so I owe I owe everybody I meet the good news like Paul says because I've been given it and I didn't earn it and I'm a piece of garbage half the time and it's an incredible thing that I'm saved and so as long as he allows me, uh, I want to keep telling people how they can be saved and live a life that honors him. So, yeah, it's a struggle, though. And you got to be real or you will lose your way, especially if you're good, especially if you're successful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in what specific ways have you um, changed your um, preaching? Like, um, was it a different like cadence when you talked or was it a different theme of messages? How did that kind of work out? Repeat the question. Sorry. Oh, all good. So, um, how how has your um, preaching style changed from your first sermon compared to uh, right now? Like specifically, like um, whether it's a cadence when you talked or a theme mm-hmm. when you speak on the Lord. 
if I listen to my older sermons, because a lot of them were recorded, um, I sound a little manic. <laughs> I sound like, I sound like, uh, I sound like a hyperactive sort of ADD, uh, maybe on something, but really excited <laughs> about it. Like I sound a little, to me, I sound a little crazy. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of, I like what I'm saying, but the way I'm saying it, it, and here's the thing, like, I don't think it was bad for that season because I had a desperation in my tone yeah. that is not there now. Like, I'm much more settled as a human, as a man. I have mm -hmm. a family, right? And the Lord, I think, yeah. works different tones into your speaking over the years. Yeah. Um, so when I was young and it was really raw, like, I was desperate. Like, every sermon, it was like we were either going to be saved or damned. And I had to give everything I had and I was going to go home and collapse when it was done. Uh, mm -hmm. now I feel like I'm a more stable just as a personality. Uh, my wife, yeah. misses the the crazy guy. Sometimes she's like, man, I remember that like that. Cause it made, it made you feel like, Oh man, I better show up for the Lord right now. Or this is all going away. You know, it was like, it was always decision time, you know, when I was young. So I don't want to lose that. Cause I think that was actually something the Lord had for me. Even it makes me cringe a little bit. Um, I would say now I would be much more, um, much more selective, much more measured in the words that I'm choosing. Whereas in the older version or the younger version of me, I guess, um, I would be basically improvising. Like I would be much more like, it would sound like I was riffing, like a stand-up got, you know, got the mic and had a topic and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna riff on this topic a little bit. Yeah. Uh, that's what it sounded like. I mean, I had prepared, so it wasn't so sloppy, but that's what it sounded like. And I think now my goal is to always get like, more fine-tuned more crafted more like just more patiently dialed in if you can say something really really well people will remember it you know as much as anything in the world if you can say it really well or if you can illustrate it i think one of the hardest things that for a preacher is to find the right illustration for something but if you find the right illustration like uh there was an illustration i think john edwards used back in the day a couple hundred years ago um but it was like, uh, it had something to do with like, you can no more stop this thing that God wants to happen than like a spider web can stop a boulder flying through it. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was just like, it, like this perfect, it's like a line, like it's the sentence. But yeah. like you picture a spider web, you picture a boulder and you can feel in the illustration, the immensity of God's power to bring about whatever he wants to bring about in your life. Sure, right. Yeah. Like, so, so things like that, where it's a little more poetic, it's like fine crafting that perfect illustration or that perfect example of something. I think that's it. It's more like, uh, you know, wine gets better as it ages because you can usually, you can usually detect different flavors and notes. It's more subtle. So I think that's the season that I'm, I'm hopefully heading into more and more is, is just getting not better per se, but getting more subtle, getting more, more precise, getting more careful. Um, I, but still, like, the Lord hits me sometimes, and, and I sound like a 19-year-old who's telling everyone they got to give their life to Jesus tonight. <laughs> so, so I don't want to lose the variety, honestly. I, I, I really just, uh, I just noticed different things over the years will kind of settle me out a little bit uh, than, in different ways than when I was young. Yeah. So it's more of a uh, story now compared to, like, a discussion then? <sighs> I would say it was like a... Uh, I don't know. It was like a more of like a slam 
poetry, like mm. rant, like <laughs> whereas now I'm I'm more aware of my people. I'm more aware of like the difficulties of life. I'm more aware of how hard it is. Like here's the thing, Jay. I'm I'm around a lot of Christians these days, and it's really hard for people to walk with the Lord. Yeah. Like, and I don't care how old they are. As, as they get older, it gets harder. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I just have a lot more, um, a lot more sensitivity or a lot more love for how difficult everyone's life actually is. Yeah. Like, I don't care who you're talking to. Ask enough questions, you're going to get something that's really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm, so I think because I'm in the long haul, I'm in the, I'm in the game, you know, for the long haul. So I'm thinking like, all right, what does this person need tonight? You know, that might help them five years from now. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just thinking yeah. different. I'm thinking about them being able to build a stable life with the Lord rather than you just, you know, slam them with an emotional, powerful thing. So I'm just, yeah. I'm making different decisions because I'm thinking more about how to pastor, about how to care for people who may be coming from a thousand different places and all of them have hurt, like real hurt. And, and, and being able to help them have the tools from the word in the power of the spirit to build an honest life, no matter where they're coming from like there's a season in which i realized all my illustrations were like very like stereotypically guy illustrations about sports <laughs> mm-hmm. and i was like 50 to 60 percent of my congregation is female and i keep like delivering illustrations that most of them either wouldn't care less about or don't even understand what i'm saying mm-hmm. um and so it was like learning how to like think about other people who aren't a guy my age you know like getting outside that- and like speaking to people who might be in their 80s or might be you know just different gender a different type of background different parents different home single mom whatever it is like they they need they need they need the same kind of care and, and stuff in the sermon they need to have an illustration of of a woman of faith that they could connect to in the same way i might easily connect to you know a, a strong masculine figure or something like that like that might work for you people but like I, I, so that was where I was more naive early on. I would just like preach out of myself. It was like, like everyone was me. And that's crazy. As you get older, you just start, you start hearing people better. You start loving them better. And you start uh, kind of appreciating how difficult life can really be. And then you just want to do whatever you can to help them hear the Lord and take any obstacle out of the way that you can. That becomes the goal of the sermon practically. Just remove any obstacle that might be in their heart or might be in the culture or might be in me, you know, just not thinking, but always talking about what I'm interested in and making that a new barrier for someone who doesn't connect with that, you know? So I think that becomes the task is like, you're like sweeping the, the, the walkway so people can kind of pass to the Lord, you know? So is that how you kind of envision like making that first connection with somebody who's kind of our, like a visitor to the church, somebody new that you haven't really connected yeah. with before? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would hope that anybody who visits the church or who hears me preach, um, honestly, I would hope they just would know that I wasn't fake. Because mm. um, I've heard guys and gals that are great preachers, and I don't believe anything they're saying. Even if I know what they're technically saying is true. It's like, mm. I wouldn't trust them with anything. Like, I, like you could tell, like, it's a performance. So. Yeah. My hope is that if anybody heard my preaching or came to my church, everyone's got barriers, everyone's got walls, it takes a while to bring them down. 
the, the spirit's ultimately the one who really can do that. But I would hope they'd say, okay, look, you know, it's like uh, Ben Franklin. This is, this is an old kind of quote. Ben Franklin, not a Christian at all, right? But, you know, kites, keys, inventions, bifocals, cool, cool stuff. Uh, George Whitfield, this famous evangelist, was in town. Ben Franklin loved to hear Whitfield preach. And people would yeah. see Ben Franklin going across the field. Whitfield would preach open air, preaching thousands of people, like unbelievable mm -hmm. stuff. And people would be like, like, why are you going to hear Whitfield? You don't believe anything he's saying. He's like, no, I don't, but he does. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I would want people to think, okay, this guy isn't fake and he really believes what he's saying. He's not performing something. He really <laughs> believes everything he's saying about the Lord, that, that this is true. And that, and that I can, I can at least start there where he really believes what he's saying and he's not fake. So maybe, maybe I could sit down with him for a cup of coffee and be real with him. And, and we could go from there. Like that would be a, the big, the big win to me for a visitor. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I really appreciate this. <laughs> this was, this was a good one. Like this, this was a great conversation. I really appreciate this from you. Yeah, of course. And uh, I think we're done. Thank you for watching the climb, everybody. I'll uh, see y'all soon. The Climb with Jalen is hosted by Jalen Morris Orkin, produced by Mitch Bonson, and the music is done by Bowden Ford. For business inquiries, please contact us at theclimbwithjay at gmail.com. That's theclimbwithjae at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.